Welcome to Wild Secrets, brought to you by Wild Talk, Australia's only free counselling service for people working and volunteering with native wildlife. Wild Talk is a registered charity, so all donations are tax deductible. See our website for details. In these episodes, we share ups and downs of working with wildlife, acknowledging while extremely rewarding can bring heartache. There may be tears, laughter, swears, and just a smidgen of learning. I'm your host, Francis Carlton. Today, my guests are Sue and Steve from Blue Brush in WA. They are a home-run wildlife caring facility and sanctuary. They work with a number of people who help them, and they will take in anything that comes across their doorstep. They'll triage it, and then they'll send it to registered and experienced carers. Welcome, Sue and Steve. How are you going today? Very well, thank you. Very well, thank you, Francis. Yes. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk and share some of your wild secrets. How long have you guys been doing Bluebush? Well, actually, Bluebush has only been going for approximately three years. But I've been a wildlife carer since about 2005, 2006. Right. And what got you started in that? Well, we actually come from the UK um, and we moved over here in 2003. Um, I'm a registered nurse and that's how we managed to get to Australia. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first thing that we did when we got here was we wanted to find a kangaroo. And we drove all day long, not knowing where to go or what to do. (laughs) And eventually we found one and we got 10 seconds of video and were so excited. (laughs) And I think it was from that very beginning, that day, that it it started. I took an interest in the wildlife and it stemmed from there, really. Okay. And in the UK, were you involved in the wildlife back, back home? No, we weren't actually. I think we both worked pretty hard. We had pets, but we didn't we didn't get in, um, into the wildlife. No. Mm. Mm. Um, do you find that people that people in the UK? Because I'm also originally from the UK. I think I beat you here by a few years. But do you find that they underplay their wildlife compared to ours? I think you're right. I think they do. Mm. I think we definitely did. I mean, when we uh, when we look back now at some of the uh, the site, the websites, etc., featuring wildlife in the UK, we're actually quite surprised by what uh, what's there and how abundant it is. Mm. Yes. So Wild Talk actually gets a we, we've got a few we've got a few people that we're supporting in the UK at the moment, and I I I, I was sort of vaguely amused but also disappointed by the idea that you know being told oh you know our birds aren't anything like as exciting as yours and I was like well you know what sort of birds are you looking after and the response was oh mostly you know seagulls and pigeons and I just <laughs> kind of went yeah but you know you're still doing an amazing thing by helping seagulls and yeah. pigeons i mean they're just i mean they're just as deserving of help as you know a, a king a king parrot or a cockatoo i mean yeah um That's so, exactly right yeah the, the color of the feathers doesn't determine any uh, any level of care that you might need no absolutely and i think i 
personally, I think pigeons and and seagulls um, are very maligned, much more than they than they deserve. Well, I've done quite a lot with seabird rescue a few years back, and seagulls were they were a delight to look after. Oh, really? They're, they're, yes, they are. Yeah, yes. yeah. I know that um, when I, but when I used to work in London, I used to commute. Um, I used to commute an hour and twenty minutes each way to, to work to work in London when I was living there. And quite often, I would be out at lunchtime, you know, on the bank of the Thames, you know, picking up seagulls with, you know, and and uh, pigeons with stuff wrapped around their ankles, and you could see that their foot was about to drop off if you if you didn't, yes, you know, yeah. get the And people would, and I'd be running around in my business suit and my girl shoes, and the people <laughs> were like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to save its foot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, you know, somebody who tells me that they, that they, that they really focus on seagulls and pigeons doesn't, doesn't get any kind of less admiration from me. And I would rather look after a seagull than a cockatoo any day because those things won't bite your finger off. <laughs> yeah. That's right. <laughs> so what sort of animals do you... I... Go on, Steve. I rarely run around in my girly shoes. Oh, well, it's a shame because men have amazing legs. <laughs> so what sort of animals do you have at Bluebush? Um, uh, marsupials uh, was our main focus, um, so lots of kangaroos. I do, we do look after birds. We've got about six or seven different types of birds in at the moment. Mm. And one of my favourites are the bobtails, reptiles. We do those too. Yes. Um absolutely so that, adore so, so over over this over this side of the country because of course you're all the way over in WA over the, over in the eastern states we we generally called them shinglebacks over here. Ah. Yeah, so um it's it's funny isn't it how you know in one country they just got a completely different name even though they're the same the, the same animal. And mm. tell tell me about Albert and Taito. Okay, well probably a about December, mid-December 2021, um, I got a phone call from a lady to say that she'd found um, an owl on the road and it was only a baby. So um, I talked to her through picking it up and putting it in a box and we arranged for her to come to me. Um, and then five minutes later, she phoned and said, I found a second one. Um, so in the end, I actually went out to her and they were two young barn owls that had fallen from the hollow, um, obviously been out for a while because, um, and it was very hot, mm. so they were quite unwell. Mm. Um, it wasn't an option at that time to put them back in the hollow, so um, I brought them home. And these are the first uh, barn owls I've ever looked after. So we had the delight of chopping up mice and getting them to feed and... Um, which, well, first of all, they had to be hydrated because they were very dehydrated. Mm. Um, but now they're bordering on uh, release. We've got them in the aviary outside. Um, they're self-feeding. They're flying well. And we named them um, Alba and Taito um, because Taito Alba is actually the scientific name for Barna. Right. And everybody said, are you going to name them? And I said, well, we don't generally. We name our marsupials, our kangaroos, yeah. but we don't name the birds generally. But I felt that um, these were a bit special, so I thought I'd give them their scientific name. <laughs> um, 
So we're looking at release very soon. Oh, that's very so exciting. That's quite, quite exciting, yes. So yes, those are your first those are your first raptors? Do you generally look after uh, raptors? Uh we've actually the last twelve months had about eight um wedge tail eagles come in. Um so we obviously don't have the facility for those, but we're actually we're learning to handle them and manage them uh, and give them the emergency care. And as Steve goes to Perth once a week, um, we can get them trans, uh, sort of located down there to mm. the appropriate vet and carer. We have very good vet support here, mm. but they can't actually do orthopedic surgery on on raptors. So right, they have. So to. how far away from Perth are you? About three hundred kilometres. Yeah. So it's mm. a it's a good run. It's a good run. Probably on a good day, we're talking a three-hour drive to, to get down there. Right, right. So you and you do that run once a week. Yeah, well, uh, I, I work down in Perth, and okay. so I go down there to uh, to do my job, and it's really quite convenient for me to be the fetch and carry guy as well. <laughs> Transporter. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> And you mentioned to me just before we were starting that you were worried about, you know, about not having any hair, but Jason Statham doesn't have any hair in the transporter either. Uh, well, that's, that's true enough, but I don't have his bank account either. So, <laughs> so is that why you is that why you are still working three days a week to provide the financial stability for that, Blue Brush? That's pretty much all I'm doing it for is to pay the bills. That's right. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we have to, Steve has to work so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> so, uh, Sue, are you are you retired as a registered nurse now? Yes, I'm still registered up until April this year. But um, I was a palliative care nurse for 10 years and um, that was hard. Yeah. And I got to 10 years and thought I've, I've, done, I've done my bit now. So, um mm. And I was still doing the wildlife caring in between. Mm. Um, so I suppose I've gone from one lot of caring to another lot of caring. So but, um, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned you mentioned there that you know like you you you've been working on you've been working on the front line of nursing. You've been working with you know with human patients, and you mentioned that it's taken you know that it was hard doing that work. How would you compare? you know, being a wildlife carer and a rehabilitator to and that caring work to working with humans? I suppose very similar. The big difference is that you haven't got the family of that animal. You're not taking on their grief when when somebody's dying. Yeah. And that was the hard part was was the relatives more than the patient. Um, which, of course, in wildlife caring, you don't have that. So I suppose that's the biggest difference. Mm. Mm. And how do you feel the attachment that you feel and the impact of your patients of in your caring role, humans versus the animals? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, wildlife caring is, is an emotional roller coaster, but we do it because our biggest aim is to get that animal back out in the wild it does affect your finance uh, emotionally but you've got to be a you've got to take on board that you're doing it to get that animal back out yes the biggest thing i think is euthanasia making that decision to euthanize an animal 
Mm. With a human, you fight for life the whole way through, regardless. But when it comes to an animal, you actually have to make some really tough decisions sometimes. And um, if that animal is not going back out there 100% fit, Mm. um, you're you're sending it out and giving it a death sentence. So you really do need to be strong to be able to make that decision. Mm. Poor Steve had to do that the other day, didn't you? Yeah, unfortunately, I came across a bird that we think had been attacked by maybe an eagle, and it was in a very bad, in very bad condition. Uh, unfortunately, it was tripping over its own wing as it was trying to move across. And with there been a forty-two degree day, and very uh, well zero chance of rehabilitation, then um, I made the decision that I had to dispatch it there and then, mm. which is not an easy call to make, and mm. it's not a good feeling after you've done it either. I was going to say, what's what's the what's the impact on on you on you, Steve? How how you know having to make that decision? It was uh, it was really very difficult for me. It was um, I I've got to be honest. I probably uh, looked at the poor old bird half a dozen times, thinking there must be a better way for this. There must be another way. And I did actually catch myself sort of apologising to the bird. Mm-hmm. Um, as I did the deed, because uh, yeah, it just it just didn't sit well with me, and even afterwards, it didn't sit well with me. Um, mm-hmm. I did offload onto Sue because that was a, that was a good thing for me to do, but it was really quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Making the decision was difficult. Doing the deed had to be done quickly, so otherwise, I think I wouldn't have done it. So mm-hmm. um, I went for it. So one of the things, you know, one of the things that we come across um, quite often, um, certainly when I talk to people, is around, you know, the fact that wildlife people who people who work with wildlife, they, you know, they care, they rehabilitate, they release, you know, their their interest is in, you know, being there for the animal, even in those hard times, but quite often the you know the the only means available to to us as as carers. For, an anim- for animals that we care about, is a violent end. That's true. And, um, yeah, it is really – well, it's the first time I've had to do it. I hope it's the last. But um, certainly from a mental mental point of view, it was it weighed on my mind quite a lot after the event. Yeah. Um, as I've said, it took me a long time to make the decision to do it. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's um, – the important thing, like I say, was the fact that sort of Sue understood and empathised and uh, sort of supported me afterwards. So that's uh, that mm. was a big part of the deal. But, yeah, mm. sometimes I figure you just got to make the call for all the right reasons. That's right. And, Sue, how did you, how did you go with Steve coming back and, you know, telling you that information? I wanted to support him because I think he made the right, obviously made the right decision. Mm. Um, I find euthanizing like Steve had to do, I would find it extremely hard. I have euthanized, but that was um, a chemical uh, euthanizing. And that was when I was um, licensed under the vet board to do it at Haniana. So that, was a little easier because there was a couple of you there to make the decision and you were able to sedate an animal mm. before you actually euthanized. Yeah. But here we're 300 kilometers from Perth 
Our vet is only here three days a week. So we sometimes have to do things that we don't like doing. But Mm. for the animal's sake and to end its suffering, we have to do it. Mm. Mm. And you you have to deal with it. Mm. You have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you look after yourselves? How do you look after your own mental health? I think I already mentioned that uh, I, I go to work. Um, I travel down to Perth uh, for my work. Uh, I'm three days a week. And that gives me a different area to focus on. Yeah. And it also, uh, it also gives the people I work with an insight into things that they've never seen. I, I like to share my experiences with the people down there and uh, enjoy the positive feedback from that. But, yeah, mm. just um, the ability to talk about something different because um, with all due respect, Sue's a full-time wildlife carer and it does uh, does limit some of our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and Sue, That's what are you doing? It. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. Sue, so I'm guessing you talk about wildlife a lot, but what do you do to look after yourself? Um, I suppose I, I'm talking about sleep. I mean, we're all sleep-deprived. All wildlife carers are sleep um and you do your best to try and be organized so that you can get a good night's sleep to um carry on the next day i'm very fortunate with at the moment because when steve's here he always cooks the evening meal that's been very helpful because there's nothing worse than having to decide what to have to eat and then to have to cook yeah, because your day starts at five o'clock in the morning, and your last feed is ten o'clock at night. Yeah, so it's it's all day basically. Yeah. Mm. But I've got um, my colleague who helped form Blue Bush with us. Um, we're on the phone regularly to each other, and are very good support. She's good support. Always offers help, even if I know she's busy, and the same. For me and the other members of Blue Bush as well are very good support. Right, they're very fortunate. Yeah. So Blue Bush has is is a sort of like a, a centre which which has volunteers and other experienced rehabilitators working with you. Not really. We are a group of home carers, so we're not like the big organisations that have a facility, the facility where volunteers come, do a shift and go home. Mm. We're all home carers, so it's um, 24-7, basically. Yeah. We're, most of us are experienced. We are about to take on some new carers, which is a challenge being so remote. Yeah. Um, trying to trying to um, support and to train these people is is hard. Mm. Um, but we're going to try this year um, to see if we can mm. do that because we really do need some help. We can't yep. take everything. Okay. So you take you can pretty much take in anything in an emergency, do the do yes. the trick do the triage work and then distribute out to more experienced carers or the carers that are helping you. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay. We have our own release site for our kangaroos, and that's the reason we live where we live, because we bought a piece of land so that we got a release site for our kangaroos, because that is the biggest problem for most carers. Yep. 
that yeah. look after kangaroos. Yes, absolutely. So, what are the rule? What are the rules? Because I know that you know in different different states and territories across the country, um, the rules change for kangaroos. Like I know that in South Australia, you can rehabilitate kangaroos but not release them. In the ACT, oh, no. you can't even you can't even rehabilitate um, kangaroos because you know we have a a cull every year. Um, so I'm wondering, what's the rules around, um, you know, your your most common? Because I know over there you don't have eastern greys, you have western greys. What's the rules around releasing? Um, well, they are managed fauna. So I, I don't really think uh, the department is too keen on us rehabilitating them um, because they can be seen as a pest. But um, we are allowed to rehabilitate, mm. and um, but they do have to be released. So if yep. they're not fit to be released, they have to be euthanized. You can't keep them. Yes. Um, okay. And that's the, the the biggest challenge is finding somewhere to put them. Yeah. Hence why you bought bought a block of land big enough to be able to release. I used my super <laughs> oh. to buy to buy the to buy the land and buy this little place we live in so that we had somewhere to to wow. put the wildlife. Wow. We bought this piece of land. It was uh, 1,260 acres or whatever. So um, a, fa- a fairly substantial piece of land, but we still lived in Perth. Right. And so on a Saturday, on Saturday morning, I'd set out to drive here. I could probably do a couple of hours' work before I had to turn around and go back home again. And yes. it was looking like uh, a lifetime challenge just to put a fence up. So, yeah. Um, we decided we should move a bit closer, and so we're now now about thirty kilometres away from um, our release site. And that's also talking, thinking about it. That's uh, another way that I can sort of handle any stresses and strains. Is that the upkeep of the property? We have to maintain the fire breaks. We have to make sure that the animals up there have water, etc. And that, that occupies a bit of my time as well. So yeah. that gives me another release as well. Okay, so I'm wondering, you know, this piece of this block of land that you that you um, that you purchased, is it is it does it back onto national park? Does it, you know, how how is it situated with regards to being around farming properties and things like that? Because I know that farm farm locked land for release sites is not always ideal. Well, um, next to our block is an is another block. Um, uh, it's actually got. Um, you can explain, Steve. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was originally farmland, which was purchased by a company who created a carbon offset project, and they planted about four and a half thousand uh, eucalypts on the property. Oh wow! Um, and once they'd done that, of course, they were keen to offload the property but maintain the trees because that was a source of income to them. Um, but they, they don't mind if somebody else pays the rates, et cetera. Yeah. And so um, so that was that was how we ended up with the property. It is in it is in and around farmland, but um, it's next door to another property which was also turned into a carbon offset project. So the farm land isn't immediately upon us, and we are we also border a nature reserve. So it, it's sort of the best of both worlds, but we do have a good understanding with the local farmers. Yes. Um, we promise that we won't saturate our property, 
Um, We won't be bringing in so many kangaroos that it will impact greatly upon their endeavours. And up until now, we've uh, we've kept our word and they've not been unduly concerned about our activity. Right. So reaching an reaching an agreement with with your surrounding neighbours has has. Do you think that's helped? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, insofar as we we have a good relationship with the, the people, the farmers around and about, uh, yeah. and to that extent, they are, they often help me. They lend me machinery. They lend me a tractor. They lend me a slasher just to go and do the work. And so, yeah, there's there's no uh, no problems with those those guys at all. That's amazing. It's not a it's not a common story, I have to say, sadly. I think the one the only thing that's sad is that we we can't help other groups by releasing their kangaroos. Yeah. We would like to have been able to have, have offered, you know, a few places for kangaroos from other groups that are struggling, but we can't saturate the area that we've got. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's that's um, that plays on my mind really because I would love to be able to help. Yeah. Are you able? To, I mean, and I'm wondering if you have already, you know, put up uh, put up boxes and all that sort of stuff to, you know, be able to densely populate your land with wildlife, not just kangaroos, but also with birds and gliders and all the other things that happen to live and rely on cover. We we hope to put up some bat boxes and we hope to put up some. Um, we would like to put some up for the for the black cockies if it, that's the right place to put them, but that's all in due time. Yeah, we, we've got a couple of release pens for the um, kangaroos, and we can release we can hard release birds up there that are adult birds, but um, we've got some work to do up there to 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 be able to release other types of wildlife. Hmm. 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 It's amazing that you've you knew that you have got a release site because release sites, of course, um, is one of the things that um, you know that, that usually people they struggle with the idea of of, of even you. finding release sites. Um, and I and you know for those for those people that are listening who aren't in Australia, um, they probably don't know that you guys don't get wombats over your side. No, we don't. No, I'm nor koalas. Right. Nor yeah. gliders. Right. No, I didn't re- – oh, that, that's a new one. I didn't realise you didn't get gliders either. Right. Okay. Anything else that you're missing over there that's, you know, amazing? <laughs> um, we have plenty of amazing already. Yes, we have plenty of amazing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the thing that one of the things that you do get that we don't get over this side is do-guides. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Is one of the reasons why we don't we don't generally try to take care of any snakes whatsoever. Um, unfortunately, we're not smart enough to know the difference between a good one and a bad one. Oh, and, they're all good. Um, they're all good. They're all good. They're all good. I'm a snake person. They're, they're all good. A, <laughs> yes, I beg your pardon. Yes, okay. <laughs> and, uh, they're all good. But they they're all some good of, if I leave them alone. The some idea. of them are danger noodles and some of them are squeeze noodles. That's the difference. But most yes. most of the, most of the ones that you get over your side tend to err on the on the danger side, unfortunately. So, but you do have. If they some... were to advertise, so I would be okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you don't. So you don't you don't deal with snakes at all at at, at Bluebrush. No, Bush. no, no. 
Right. Okay. But I'm guessing that you do have them and you do come across them um, on your Indeed, property. Indeed, yes. Yeah. We, we know how to give them a wide berth for sure. Yes. Yes. A respectful wide berth, I think, is uh, yeah, is, exactly is definitely right. the, the way to go. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. So when you, um, are you thinking about increasing your ability to work with raptors now that you've got, now that you've been getting more, more birds and more, you know, more wedge tails and more barn owls and things? Yes, we are. We've applied for a um, grant to see if we can get a small raptor enclosure. And um, not for the wedge tails, but for the smaller ones, which mm. um, we feel we can probably manage. Mm. And so we're hoping that that will come to fruition. If it does, then um, um, we can start taking in and, and, and taking a bit of pressure off the guys down in Perth. Um, and so they're particularly Geraldton, she's desperate for us to try and take on a few of the raptors that come into our care. Right, right. And what? we all like to learn something new. Oh, um, yes. Um, being a nurse, everything, you know, you're always wanting to learn, you're always wanting to give best practice, so you're always wanting to do training. So mm. Mm, mm. quite exciting if it works out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. How do, just generally, how do raptors find themselves under your care? Well, generally, it's uh, motor vehicle accidents. The wedge tails are such big birds that they take a while to get off the ground. So with the roadkill, they'll come down and um, a truck or something will come along and they're just not quick enough to get out of the way. Mm. And sadly, a lot that come in have um, fractures to their wings or their legs, and it's not always a good outcome for them. But you get the occasional one where we're waiting for one to come back to Buntine that's been up in Geraldton now for a while. Mm. So we're hoping, and the farmers are, are quite, um, funnily enough, quite keen to get it back to do the release. So, okay. um, yeah, which is, is good. Yeah, your farmers, your farmers sound way more in, enlightened than our local farmers. Oh, we've got some good local farmers. I think we've got mm. to the trouble of engaging with them and letting them know what we're doing, why we're doing it. And, um, you know, the farmers in their own way seem very ecologically minded. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know for a fact that a couple of our local farmers, they go out and they plant a lot of trees and they're well aware that by planting trees, they're attracting wildlife. As long as it doesn't eat their crops, then yep. they're relatively okay with the idea. Mm. But I was going to say in regards to the raptors and the wedgetails, this is why um, we're keen. Anybody that's listening to this should, if, if they come across roadkill, they ought to take the time to actually get the animal carcass off the road mm. and as far away from the road as they can sensibly do it mm. because the eagles, as Sue said, they're so slow at getting into the air that um, when they're on the road, they're in real danger. Mm, mm. So I um, um, I recently interviewed Pat McDonald, who um, founded Higher Ground Raptor Rehabilitation Centre, yeah. and I and I yeah. told her a story about um, the first time I ever saw a wedge tail eagle. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because that would be boring for those that, um, but it also in, inspires them to go and listen to the other episode. But, you know, they are, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm, 
you know, so conscious of getting of getting animals off the road is because of the secondary injuries. So, you know, I've seen many occasions where you see, you know, a kangaroo and then next to it is a a crow or a magpie or a goanna or a lizard because just purely because of the secondary um they just they just don't move quick enough. So yeah, really, really, really important to get that get that roadkill, you know. People who don't care about wildlife aren't going to be listening to this podcast in the first place. No. So I think, so I think, so I think we're kind of preaching to the converted, to be honest. But get it off the road. <laughs> um, you know, the reality is that somebody who doesn't care about wildlife is not me. Oh, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to listen to a whole bunch of wildlife carers talking about how awesome <laughs> it is and uh, being a wildlife carer. Um, just, just, just quickly. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm aware that sort of, you know, we are. Uh, we're running out of time, but I'm, I'm wondering, what's the? Has there ever been a moment? And this question's to both of you, where you've just kind of gone, "I can't do this anymore." Oh, there there has been times. I think when you become a bit overwhelmed with all that, I, I had too many kangaroos. But when somebody turns up at your doorstep with a young joey that needs your care, you can't say no. Mm. Um, and everybody becomes busy and it's hard to have that animal on. And you do, don't you? Sometimes you, you get a bit, well, I do get a bit overwhelmed with it all. But um, it passes and you carry on because they need you to carry on. Mm. Um, yeah, the compassion fatigue sets in and... Uh, You'll you'll end up with uh, an animal that doesn't make it that you particularly had strong feelings towards, and yep. it, it's a bit of a kick. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely. I don't think we've ever seriously said we can't do this anymore, but we've certainly taken a few hits. Mm. Um, but you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, start all over again. I promise not to sing. <laughs> I'm just trying to think which movie that one's from. <laughs> I'm guessing Fred Astaire might have been involved. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm thinking Mary Poppins. Um, she's a helper. Um, so, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, I, you know, I find that, you know, obviously doing, doing, doing what I do that, you know, burnout and compassion fatigue is, you know, it does, it does happen. But, you know, okay. look, having, having really good self-care in, in place is actually the, a bit of an antidote to, to both of those things. Um, and I know that we've already talked about it, but what, what would be something that you're looking to do in the future to help take some of that pressure off? I think to take the pressure off, we need more help with um, volunteers that um, are, are truly going to be committed uh, yeah. to the wildlife. That would help with the pressure. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I do have to say, though, Francis, is when we've posted on our Facebook page that we've lost an animal, you are very quick to be there to offer your help. And, you know, I... I haven't actually had to use you as yet, but the fact that I know that you're watching and I know that you will pop a message up when you see that we've had quite a traumatic loss to say, well, I'm here if you need me. And that is actually quite a big comfort. I just needed to 
to say that because I know you have put on a few of my posts um, mm. here if you need me sort of thing. Yeah, there's a few there's a few places that pop up fairly regularly that um so for those that are listening if you ever see my name and then a heart um, as a comment it's pretty much my sign of I see you mm. <laughs> and I see what's happening. Um there are only so many hours in the day I can't call everybody every time I see something so sometimes that's that's the the best way that I have to say I am watching and I am here and you can call us at any time. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. uh, From my perspective, I think an important part for me is to actually be there for Sue to unload on. Yeah. You know, she, uh, she, she's sort of living this 24 seven, as I've mentioned, I don't, uh, I don't get Mm. it seven days a week. And so it's really quite important that uh, Sue can offload onto me and I can give her at least an ear, even if I can't give her any, uh, any sort of, other kind of support, um, yeah. I can sort of support her emotionally. Um, I don't have the skills that she has. I yeah. don't have the knowledge that she has in regards to mm. wildlife. But, uh, you know, my role is to support her, really. So, Sue, how important how important is it for you to know that the person you're talking to gets it and gets you and gets why you do what you do? The thing is, uh, Francis, not everybody has the same passion. And I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We get drawn to people that have that same feeling. But not everybody's going to get it. And I understand that. And I understand that. I'm happy to talk wildlife all day long um, and try and preach to the, you know, sort of get people to understand. But um, some are quite amazed when they you actually start telling them what it's all about. Mm. But many aren't, aren't interested. But that's mm. okay. That's all right. Mm. Do, do you have family back in the UK still? Yes. Do they know what you do now over here? Oh, absolutely. And very supportive too. Um, All my friends in the UK, they like to see the photos. Um, Not everybody comments all the time, but they don't need to, but they're just happy to see what we do and um, the different wildlife that we have here. Yeah. 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 I I recently joined um, an international um, counselling clinical supervision group, and one of the things that we had to do was we had to introduce ourselves um, and what we did and why we were introdu- in, interested in eco eco psychotherapy, which is working you know out in nature and sort of getting people back in touch with the natural world. And um, it's run out of Portland in Oregon in the US. And when I, I've actually had everybody from that group contact me and say, I've never heard about an initiative like you're doing with Wild Talk. Um, you know, yeah. because, you know, so these are people who these are people who all are interested in working with climate change and climate psychology and, you know, and climate anxiety and all those sorts of things. But I'm the only one that was actually, you know, what I do, I I I look after wildlife carers. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. And, you know, and but it's like, how does that relate to climate change? It's like, well, because that's that's pretty much what they're dealing with every day and loss of habitat and all those other things and roadkill. 
you know yeah, um, you know yeah. you know these road these these road you know the 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 wilderness isn't around the road the road went through the wilderness that's exactly, that's exactly right, right. Yeah. yeah and i and i you know being 300 kilometers from 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 perth there's a whole lot of wilderness that you drive through before you get to perth mm. absolutely yeah indeed it's uh it's sometimes an interesting journey um there are two or three ways you can go. The animals seem pretty switched on to the truck routes. They tend to avoid those, thank yep. goodness. Yep. Um, but when I, if I were to go around the back roads, I will certainly encounter some interesting creatures. Yes, absolutely. And just out of curiosity, Steve, because I'm, I'm always fascinated when, you know, you're doing a drive regularly. Do you find that it's different every time you do it? Oh, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are certain hot spots which I look out for because I know that um, I will regularly encounter wildlife here and there. But, um, yeah, I, you've got to keep your wits about, yeah? And uh, yeah. Most, of, most of them want to challenge you at some point or another. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been an absolute delight talking with you both and, you know, wish you all the best in the future and, you know, look forward to talking to you again. And likewise to you, Francis. Yes, and again, thank you for the support. Thank you for being there. And uh, yeah, we look forward to talking with you again. Thank you to my guests, Sue and Steve from Bluebush in WA. This has been Wild Secrets. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting all of the work that we do. If you're passionate about supporting wildlife carers, you can donate at wildtalk.org.au. Thank you to Nick McCorriston for making this sound good. And thank you. And I hope to hear from you at some point in the future.